Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Today we're going to continue our series in Habakkuk. We're going to take a look at the beginning portion of Habakkuk. And this is uh, the beginning portions of song in chapter 3, and we're going to look at that in a bit. And I'm going to sit down here, okay? All right. Like we're in our living room, huh? Okay. You have to have a key thought in your mind uh, when you look at the revelation of God in the book of Habakkuk. God is both powerful and He is is at the same time He is merciful, So you have two things going along there. You have to uh, make sure that you keep a balanced understanding uh, of the attributes attributes of God. And really, sometimes people will not uh, look at the Word of God like they should read the Word of God on their own. And if you're going to get a balanced view of God, you need to be able to read all the way from Genesis to Revelation. You need to be able to look at the whole of Scripture and not just pick and choose different things because... Sometimes people will see things like uh, the Harvey storm and they'll see that and they'll say, oh my goodness, how could God let this happen? He must just be mean and cruel. Well, God is not mean and cruel. Uh, We understand that all have sinned and fell short of the glory, that we live in a uh, sinful world. We know that those things happen and, uh, and it does not mean that he is necessarily bringing judgment on anybody at that point you have to realize that you need to look through the Word of God and get a a balanced understanding of His Word. Now, like Habakkuk, we too ask things like, uh, God, where have you been? We may ask things like, where is revival? We may ask questions like that, where's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit today? And during the spring of 1904, There was a young Welshman named Evan Roberts. He was repeatedly awakened in the night at one in the morning, and he met with God in prayer till about five. I've had the privilege to be there in the UK in the the area of Wales and uh, been down in those coal mines and those things and see some of the churches there when the Welsh revival was taking place. And uh, in the time from the end of 1904 to 1905, we find that there were about 150,000 people who came to faith in Christ. And uh, all the statistics wouldn't all be in for that, but we know that that happened in about a six-month period, and, and people's lives were transformed by the thousands. It was a sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. It was the work of God the work that he was doing in the lives of people. They said that the police force reported that they had little more to do than to supervise the coming and the going of the people going to prayer meetings. And the judge has turned up at the courts to find that there were very few cases to try at that point. They said that alcohol trade was decimated as people were caught up more by what was happening in the church uh, prayer meetings than they were by what was happening in the bars and some of the other places around. Families experienced renewal. Some of these husbands and fathers had been wasting their time and their money that they had earned on alcohol and on carousing around and wasting, just doing junk that they shouldn't have been doing. They 
They tended to uh, cause more strife in their families than anything. And then the Lord started getting a hold of them. And many of them started coming to faith and they found their place and they started serving their families and treating them well. People were saved. Individual lives were transformed. They were changed. Society itself was changed. Countless people came to serve the Lord. And that revival had effects all around the world, not just in Wales. We also saw things even starting here in Topeka, Kansas. God doing a wonderful work. So like Habakkuk, though, we, we may ask things like, where is God? Where is revival? Yet are we willing to change to be who God is asking us to be? We have to think about that question for a moment because we realize that things aren't always easy, aren't always uh, perfect in this life, but God is asking us to follow him and to serve him. So we need to understand something special about Israel if we're going to understand the prophet's question uh, that and God's answers that God gives back to him as we deal with this book here a little bit. I know I'm giving you some background here, but you need to keep in mind that God had a covenant with Israel. It was a covenant relationship. That covenant is significant. It helps us to understand things like blessings and responsibility. It helps us understand the idea of wrath and also God's mercy that he bestows on us as well. So we see there's several things happening, but first we have to understand that God created mankind in his own image. And in this sense, we know that we are all loved by God, no matter what we look like. But second, we have to find that God has a plan and it could only be fulfilled by the calling and by choosing a special people to carry out the plan of God. So that choice, uh, that, that choice was made by God. It came by the way of a covenant and that covenant was between God and Abram or Abraham as we know him and you can see that over in Genesis chapter 12 where God said, I'll bless you and I'll bless your kids, your grandkids, all the way down. I'll bless your descendants and the whole earth through you will be blessed. He's going to bless the human race. It's significant because uh, we have to be able to understand the Old Testament prophets like Habakkuk and like Jeremiah and like and like Isaiah, and uh, or not Isaiah, but uh, uh, Elijah and these guys. You have to understand them with uh, the backdrop of the covenant that they were living in. You may not, or you may or may not be of natural descent of Abraham, uh, but if you, if you place your faith in Christ, you get to take part of God's blessings. Now we see it over in the New Testament for us and how for us as followers of Jesus, we do get to take part in God's blessings. In Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it says this, So then, even, even to Gentiles, that's those who are non-Jewish, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Thank the Lord. Are you glad for that? I am glad. And then it go, uh, goes on in Acts chapter 13, 47. It says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Everywhere that salvation would come to all those who are willing to put their faith in Christ and turn to him. 
to each and every individual that will trust him. Now, one of the roles of a prophet that we understand was to uh, serve as an intermediary between God and the people of Israel. And he was, to in, he was to indicate when they strayed from the covenant that they had entered into. And they had entered into that covenant on a voluntary basis. And then the prophet was there to be able to say, look, guys, I want you to come back to the covenant if they fell away from it. I want you to return to it. God is saying, I want you to return to that. So Habakkuk, for him, he, he's, uh, we know that all the, all the prophets put themselves in a rough position when they preached to the whole, whole community because it wasn't just to those who necessarily attended the uh, synagogue, so to speak, or the temple, so to speak. It was everybody in Israel. And Habakkuk takes it on himself to work in the other direction, calling God to account when his actions did not seem to correspond with what the covenant said. He's like, God, well, why, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing to the Babylonians to come in here and to try to correct us? Why do you have to do this, you know? And we find that Habakkuk was that kind of man. He was a man who was willing to intercede for his people. Are we willing to intercede for one another before the face of God? He was just that kind of guy. I'm sure that Evan Roberts was that kind of man, as we saw from uh, uh, the UK and Wales. And this prophet here, his intercession was based on Israel's covenant. So like Habakkuk, you, you can intercede since God is powerful and merciful and God will has provided for us a covenant. And it's that covenant, that new covenant that we celebrated this morning as we interacted in communion with the Lord. We can intercede based on that covenant we've been given. Now before we uh, look at the first two verses of chapter 3, we're actually going to look into... Uh, chapter 2 and see what's happening in Habakkuk there. Uh, the prophet is struggling with what seems to be a moral problem. How can God use a people as instruments of judgment who are more cruel and inhumane than Judah themselves? And you, you, uh, as you hear last, as you heard last week, the Lord's uh, answer to the prophet was the righteous or the just shall live by faith. But about Babylon, God calls them arrogant and their desires are dishonest. So it's here we see how even though God will use wicked Bab the Babylonians to correct Israel, in the end, God will use Israel to actually judge them. God's answer to Habakkuk, his concern about the cho the, his choice is uh, to use Babylon with these... Are, he uh, uses these five powerful woe statements, they call them, the, these woe statements. But it, it, if you want to say it in our language, we don't tend, tend to say woe, right? Uh, maybe some of you do, but I don't tend to say that at home uh, unless I'm riding a horse and say, whoa, Nellie, you know that kind of deal. But pardon my uh, yeah, humor, but... So five woes. So what do these... What, what uh, The New Living Translation says it this way. It says... What sorrow, the sorrow that awaits Babylon. What sorrow awaits. And so as we read these passages here, it's going to be up on the screen here. Let's look at verse 6 here in the first woe 
And, uh, and he says this, Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, What sorrow awaits him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion? So how long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. So who is real? Who is really Babylon's creditor? Really, it's God. You can see here that God is telling Habakkuk, you may be upset that I'm going to use Babylon, but in the end they too will be judged fairly. He's going to judge Babylon fairly because of their own sin and sorrow was waiting for those thieves. Realize it isn't all that, uh, all that different in the world that we live in for those of us that follow Jesus, whether we're here in America or overseas in other countries or uh, doesn't really matter where we're at. We, most countries in the world nowadays are very similar to what Babylon was like in some ways. We aren't Judah or Israel ourselves. We're the church, but in many ways our plight isn't all that much different. We too as a body of Christ have failed at times and the Lord calls us back to himself. He calls us back to that covenant that he has made with us and that we have willingly accepted as Christ gave his life on the cross for us. Then we see the, the, the second, well, we look at verse 9 and it says, What sorrow awaits him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The words that the Lord is using about Babylon there are very, very strong. Uh, Habakkuk's concerned that they're not going to be taken care of, that they're not going to be judged for their life and their actions, but God is saying they will be judged for their life and their actions. Again, we find that God will correct them for their unjust gain. They've ruined so many people's lives for the sake of filling their own pockets, but the Lord is plain that they're forfeiting their own lives. God's justice will prevail in His timing. We realize that the timing doesn't go with, along with us and our timing and our way. We may face some challenges or difficulties in our life. Maybe there's something, someone treating you cruel at work or, or at school or whatever it is, and we know that God will take care of those things in time. It may not be in the way we want it and the time we want it, because for God, remember, He brings mercy involved in there too. Didn't we receive mercy? If we have received mercy, shouldn't those who treat us poorly get mercy too? That's why we should pray for them. The scripture tells us to pray for our enemies. Then we see in verse 12, the third, the third woe there in Habakkuk 2. He says, What sorrow awaits him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice? You know, your gangs can build empires by slaughtering anyone in their way, yet there will be an end to it. Sorrow will come for them if it's here in this lifetime or if it's the life to come. It still happens now. People take power and control through whatever means possible. It may be the person who is a sex trafficker on the edge of the street or it may be the person who is a, a dealer in your community dealing out drugs and harming people's lives. 
and we could stay in those areas, and we could, I could talk about that all day, I'm sure, but we'll look at the fourth woe here. 15, what sorrow awaits him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins till they, they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies? And he's pretty graphic here. He doesn't pull any punches here. And he says in verse 16, you will be filled with the shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. He's speaking to Babylon, right? Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. How little has uh, sinful behavior changed over the uh, centuries and centuries and millennia? Yet God clarifies that the same sorrow that the Babylonians have given to others will be coming their way. He said, now it's your turn. The pornographic industry has ravaged our society, taken advantage of many. It used to be considered primarily a man's issue, and now we know that from statistics that show us that it is becoming worse and worse of a problem even among women. It is a, a very serious problem, and many people are pulled in. Yet, there is hope. As one apostle said in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he said, said, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He's saying, Turn from our old ways of living and turn to the living God so that times of hope, times of refreshing, times of comfort can, can come to us as his people. We know that God will provide us those things as we turn to him. Habakkuk, the, finally in Habakkuk 2, verse 19, the Lord addresses Babylon's uh, final sin, which really is the same sin that Judah had, that Israel had, which was idolatry. We see it here. He says, for only, Bab for only Babylon, they didn't make a covenant with the living God. They hadn't made a covenant with him, but Israel had. And so... Uh, we find this here. He still is not going to let Babylon off the hook. Verse 19 says this. What sorrow awaits him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone? Wake up. Can it give guidance? Is it covered with gold and silver? There is no breath in it. The Lord is in the, his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Uh, I, I can't remember a time that I've had any wood talk to me. <laughs> but these guys haven't uh, uh, been in idolatry and uh, serving false gods. Uh, they, were, they were stuck in that. They were steeped in that. We saw uh, God's uh, uh, response to uh, Elijah and to the prophets of Baal and what took place there. Their God didn't respond to them, but the living God responded to Elijah, didn't he? find it interesting that he wraps up this verse with let everyone be quiet before God. We have nothing to say before him. And of course the idols don't because they are not true. So how can we relate this to today's world? One of the best things that we could do is move forward about 650 years away from the time of Habakkuk into the, into the 50s. No, not the 1950s, but the 50s, 50s A.D., in the, in the late 40s, early 50s A.D. And here we find the Apostle Paul preaching to Romans 
uh, in the uh, in the in a society that is more similar to ours uh, today than ever. And he was in Athens, Greece, and he was in the Areopagus, and he was speaking to philosophers, these high-end thinkers. And it was interesting that after he is preaching and and presenting the gospel message to them, do you know some of them came to faith in Christ? And they followed his ministry. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. I believe it's on the screen for you, verse 29. And Paul says to them these words. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill, Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, this is new covenant stuff. This is bringing it in, yes, into Paul's day, but really into our day as well. It's not any different. In verse 31, he says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Speaking of Christ, as he says in the next uh, verse, or in the next uh uh, sentence there he says he has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead if you see what Paul is saying here we have this new covenant he's saying to those who don't turn away from their false gods they will be judged by Christ himself that, that is not a, uh, a subject that most people want to know in our culture today in fact they will hit against that but Babylon will not get away with their violence, injustice, or their devotion to false gods, even if God used them as an instrument of correction for Judah. And likewise, we find that Paul makes it plain that even now people will not get away from their devotion to stuff. If it's an actual idol, or if it's the latest gadget, or if it's uh, the house you have, or the latest car, all those kind of things, Jesus will evaluate for himself and mete out his correction in his time and his way. But discipline and correction are natural, and they are just. It's not a bad thing. Dennis Miller tells the story of his uh, son when he was trying to... Uh, uh, teach his young son some responsibility. And so he said, okay, you can go to the neighbor's house. That's okay. And you can go play and have your t uh, time and fun with them. And But before, he, when you get there, I want to make sure that you call me to make sure so I know that you have made it to their house. And so their son says, okay. And so he gets over to the house and no call. The call doesn't come. And so the dad says, okay, I'm going to make a call. And so he calls over and checks, and, and uh, yes, his son made it. He said, you know, why didn't you call? I forgot. So he's uh, thinking to himself, and he says, well, maybe next time, that uh, if he does this next time, then there's going to be some repercussions, and I'll just make him come home. And so the next time, his son goes over and plays with his friends, and he gets... Uh, interacting with them, and, and uh, he doesn't call again. So the dad is like, okay, we've got to do something about this. We've got to nip it in the bud. And he, so he makes the call, and as he's preparing to make the call, he feels like he, he says a prayer. He's like, how do I deal with this? Uh, and so he's like, uh, the, he felt like the Lord said to him, 
you deal with him like I deal with you. So he gets the phone. He calls him. As he's on the phone, he lets it ring one time and he hangs up. So uh, just shortly afterwards, here comes a phone call. And uh, it's his son. And his son says, uh, he, the dad says to him, he said, uh, why, why didn't you call me? You know, you're supposed to call me. He said, well, we got to playing and I totally forgot about it. And then I heard the phone ring one time. And it reminded me I needed to call you. So I went to the phone and called you. It's kind of like how God deals with us sometimes, isn't it? And that's kind of what the prophets were doing too. They were that those voices out there trying to remind the people of God, hey, God is here. He wants us to correct the way we are so that we can serve Him faithfully and be set apart. And, uh, and then there's those times when God finally has to say, okay, that's enough. Now I've got to deal with this in another manner. And so that's what happened in 586 B.C. when Babylon finally ended up coming in and taking uh, Judah captive, taking Israel captive. But I'm sure that, uh, that Babylon had their phone ring a few times themselves. So God didn't just use the prophets just to speak to his own people. He also used them to speak on the international stage as well. God had to act for without this correction, we wouldn't even have the books of Daniel. We wouldn't have the book of Jeremiah. We wouldn't have Habakkuk. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have some of these books. But also, more important than that, Israel wouldn't have turned away from their idol worship. Now let's look at the last few in the last few moments at Habakkuk chapter three verses one to two. I'm going to give you a short background of this as we jump into it. But what we find here in Habakkuk three is this: this prayer passage resembles a psalm of lament or a lament psalm, and Habakkuk three shows a particular similarity with Psalm eighteen and and also Psalm seventy seven, which are also lament psalms. And uh, both of those psalms are what are uh, are uh, are known, well known as laments. But to lament means to mourn or to grieve over something of uh, a loss or something. And in this situation, uh, the the prophet is grieving. He he's uh, he's mourning over how Israel has acted and how they have lived. And this is what it says, and it should be on the screen for you: a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. And in Hebrew, it says, "Om she." Gionoth, which I'm sure I mess up, but the, the prayer in the, in the New Living Translation there, it says this prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. So it has to, it was, a, it was a psalm, it was a song, right? And in verse 2 it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. Isn't that our prayer at times? God, repeat this in, your, in our day. Lord, interact and intervene in our lives today. He says, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk responds to the assurance that God's uh, justice will go forward and uh, against the Babylonians. And he does that through this psalm, through this song. His prayer in this chapter is this... Uh, is this uh, uh, it's a prayer psalm, and uh, it's genuinely personal. 
uh, personal. Yet on the other side, it's for corporate worship. So just like some of the songs that we sing, they are, they are definitely a song that we can sing and pour our heart out to God, and we should be able to do that. And then, but on, uh, we can do it as a group as well for some of them, and that's what, what this was. We realize that this, uh, uh, it's best understood, the Hebrew word there uh, is best understood as a, a song that can be set to several tombs, tunes. So we see that some of these psalms, they were sung in many different ways. Just like us today, as our worship leaders will lead us in songs, they may sing the say, Amazing Grace, they may sing it several different ways, very appropriate. You thought it was new and modern. It's not. It comes even from this time. Hundreds of years before Christ, they did the same thing, and they did it in different tunes. I think it's wonderful. So many people are genuinely personal here in their songs, and they can devote themselves to the Lord in the corporate worship and also as individuals. But, you know, I like the flexibility that we can have at times, and it's important for us to have flexibility in the way we worship the Lord. Because if we don't, what happens is we become so rigid and stale, we become so rigid that if you touched us, we would probably break in half. <laughs> but that's why it's important for us to be able to worship God in different ways. And I appreciate worship leaders who are willing to step outside the box and to take us out of that box and out of our rut that we sometimes get involved in. Thank you, Michael. And your team. Look at what the prophet says in verse 2. It says this. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. This prayer relates to the past as he asked God to help them now. And the word fame there, or sama, is normally used of second-hand information, which shows us that Habakkuk is saying there, you know what, you've done these things, I've heard of these miracles that you've done, but I haven't seen them myself. It's all second-hand information to you, to, to me. I've heard of your fame. You know, when we say somebody is famous, we think of them, oh yeah, they've done this, that, and the other, and we may not really know much about them. And that's kind of the way it was for him. He's saying, where have you been, God? And we may say, where are the revivals, God? Where have you been, Lord? But here he says, I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. The prophet is referring back to God's miraculous past when he brought Israel out of the Egyptian bondage through the Red Sea. We know that the Exodus was the primary anchor point for the salvation history of the people of God. It was, it was a point of faith and hope for Israel. For us, our primary anchor is the cross of Jesus Christ. As we celebrated communion this morning, it is an anchor for us. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done. It was that blood that was shed that showed us, that made a covenant with us and God. It was that blood that was shed, and we have that new covenant that's available to us today. And when we pray like the prophet, we pray things that relate to our covenant. We may say, Lord, you died so that we can live. You carried our sin. Lord, you carried our sickness, so please bring us healing. Where's the Bible, God? We 
enter the Lord, we enter the presence of the Lord and we interact with him in faith. Habakkuk recalls God's might, past mighty deeds on Judah's behalf and pleads with God that as he brings Judah to judgment, he will be nonetheless, he will nonetheless deal with his people in mercy. He wants him to deal with mercy. And that mercy is based on that covenant that God has made between him and his people. He was admitting that Judah had sinned and needed to renew their covenant relationship with God. Habakkuk asked for mercy, knowing that with their repentance comes God's mercy. His mercy allows for restoration. A wonderful thing. As we conclude this morning, The Apostle Paul says this in the New Testament in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 30. He said, Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience. Whose disobedience? But Israel's disobedience. So they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy. As a result of God's mercy to you, who's he talking to? The Romans. And that includes us too as believers of Christ. Verse 32, he says, For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. That doesn't mean that everyone will be saved, yet if we turn to God in faith, if we turn to Christ in faith, he will have mercy on our lives. live in a sinful world, a broken world. God says, you know what? I've said you can do what you want. You can follow your own will. That's fine and good. And he knows that what's going to happen in the end, that we're finally going to crash and burn and we're going to say, I need God. I need God. I don't know if it's happened to you, but it happened to me when I was young and got out of high school. I I found I needed God. We have to come to that place where we recognize it. God will have mercy on our lives. Where are the revivals, God? Where is the revival? Where are you? The question is, is are we willing to make the change to be who God wants us to be? Are we willing to allow Him to work in our lives? We know God is powerful. We know He's merciful. So if you want mercy from Him today, do what Peter said to do. He said, repent therefore and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So we turn from our old way and we turn to Christ and we allow him to work in us and as he starts working in us, he starts bringing a refreshing that no man, no person can give to us, that no, no drug can give to us, no nothing can give to us because it comes through Christ and through Christ alone and the work of the Holy Spirit that he does in our lives. He is faithful, friends. All we have to do is yield ourselves to Him and allow Him to work in us. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Where is God now? He is with us. He is merciful. And He wants us to be His people. This morning, I want to encourage those who are uh, set to pray this morning, to pray for needs. Would you come forward this morning? I'm going to pray for you, but you may need to 
do a little bit of repentance today, maybe turning to the Lord. Maybe it's not that. Maybe your, your walk is good, things are going well, but maybe you have a health issue and you want somebody to pray with you. Uh, we'll all be down here to pray with you. Maybe some other kind of thing in your life, maybe with your family. We'll be glad to pray with you. Let me pray this morning. Michael's going to lead us in a time of worship. Father, we pray that you would just help us to keep our focus on you. Father, I pray that you would touch each and every person here in this place with your power and your grace. I pray that you would flood them from heaven, flood them by your Holy Spirit working in their lives, and that, Father God, that you would cause them to step up to the plate to do what you have called them to do. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we prepare ourselves for this next coming weekend on the 9th, this Saturday, for the block party, I pray for every person that has received a pamphlet and every person that has heard about this thing coming up, I pray that you would touch their lives where they are at and that you would minister to them and that, Father, that when they would come to this place, that we would reach out to them with open arms and that you would touch their lives and transform. I pray this morning that you would help us to keep our focus on you because the plan that you have for each and every person here is a wonderful plan. We want to do it. 